From Koningstein Road in the east to Cetus Gap in the west, an orange curtain has descended across the Ojai Valley. This is Ojai Talk of the Town. Hey everyone, Brett Bradigan, editor of your Ojai Magazines, the monthly and quarterly. This episode, our guest is Kevin Breslin, and if that name sounds familiar, it should. He's the son of maybe the greatest newspaper columnist of all time, the legendary Jimmy Breslin. We talked a lot about Jimmy and his outstanding career and what made him so special and the bond between the father and son, and also Kevin's fascinating career and his filmmaking. Kevin and I connected because he sent me a lovely note, email about a column I'd written for the hometown papers in Chautauqua County, the Post Journal in Jamestown and the Evening Observer in Dunkirk, where I mentioned, you know, my illustrious former career as a grave digger and reflected upon Jimmy Breslin's famous column that got his career started after the death of John F. Kennedy. So he reached out to me, and we've been corresponding, and I convinced him to come on the podcast. And it runs a bit longer than normal, like maybe twice as long as normal. But I promise you, if you stick with it, you'll learn a lot about a lot of fascinating things. Hey, Kevin, thanks for joining me. Surely. Hi, everyone. Kevin Breslin. Hey, Kevin. So I wanted to have you on the podcast because you're vantage point over decades of the media scene, probably giving you some insights into what the hell is going on out there. Things seem to be in flux. Have you seen any bright mm-hmm. spots or any innovations or any idea where things are headed? Well, the first alarming thing that I noticed being a lifelong New Yorker is there used to be lines on Saturday night at every candy store all over the city, which is also a disappearing thing. But they were lined up to get the New York Times, the Daily News, and I think even the Post, mm-hmm. whatever. But there were lines of people that would always have to get the early edition and then the later edition. That's maybe down to a very select few and a few newsstands across the city. In other words, no one's reading newspapers. The Daily mm-hmm. News used to be a big, thick newspaper and sell on, say, when my father was, uh, he told me like 2 million copies weekday and 5 million on weekends. That's not a bad number, having 5 million people or more read you in in the city of New York. That's a lot of uh, attention and information. But now, no one's reading the newspapers anymore. I read online, so I'm okay, but I don't think people... I don't think people read newspapers, are, so they get are, their information from TV news, I guess. Yeah, or from Facebook, unfortunately. Or Facebook or yeah, or some sort of social media. Hence a good point. Newspapers, I think, at the time of my father when he exploded, he was social media. We look back on it and say he really was. He was a source of Absolutely. real information. Yeah, people created it, communities around. For people don't know, um, Kevin's father's Jimmy Breslin, the Pulitzer Prize winning columnist. Man About Town, Raconteur, Flaneur, Boulevardier. He's all those yeah, things. Yeah. We don't have well, people like re- that anymore. No, he was a reporter. Well, there's plenty of good reporters, so you don't uh, ever absolutely. want to do that. But none that and have an audience that command an audience of that size. Well, if you, I don't know who he is, Jimmy Breslin. He was a, a writer here for 50 years in New York and 
probably the number one guy, Tom Wolf or my father, maybe Gay Calise, a couple of them. Yeah. Murray well, Captain. Pete, but Pete my Hamill father was put him in there. And Pete Hamill, of course, they made the documentary about my father and Pete, um, Deadline Players for HBO. But the real truth of the matter was not being defensive or, or nepotistic or whatever the word would be here. My father was basically one of a kind. I mean, they had him on buses with his picture. They had him on the seventh and local news, even giving commentary, Jimmy, 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 Jimmy. He was, he was really the number one guy. Um, and not that I really, I didn't even know it actually growing up. I knew he was doing pretty good at what he was doing, but yeah. I never, I didn't take it. I didn't, I, I guess I was proud of what he did, but I never, it was a job. Like he was a carpenter. He just did oh, his yeah. work. And very, very, uh, aggressively yeah well he was a craftsman more than an artist i feel and a lot of that gets lost in the present day people have this aesthetic that they think is more important than the actual nuts and bolts of making that call checking that fact getting the source for you know independent verification all that stuff legwork the legwork it's called that's what he called it climbing stairs i mean and when you think about it he he that got him the biggest stories in, in in as he would tell me in my time in my city in my business. And he always say news travels east to west. Remember that. Or if you have a story, don't tell anybody because it gets in the air. Yeah, He's very careful about ideas getting out there. So he liked to control his own uh, byline or deadline, if you will. It's very any young journalist writing, you got to be real aggressive. And he would always tell me, you got to go to the other side of the street for a story. And I used to like listen to all this stuff and go, what do you mean? Like the other side of the street where it's in the air. I used to get, I guess, a bit flummoxed. I was like, oh, I'm not going to be a newspaper writer because I always thought, well, why would you want to copy your father or something he's doing pretty good at? And if you can't do as good, well, I don't know. They're probably just going to beat you up. So why bother? Um, Although I can write a sentence pretty good. But however... I didn't want that sort of pressure. I mean, yeah. now you grew up where? Right? I know your dad grew up in Queens, Queens, uh, Jamaica, York, Queens, right near the yeah, airport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, right off. Actually, right. Mario Cuomo grew up on 101st Avenue, four blocks away. My father grew up on 101st Avenue, right as you're right along the Van Wyck Expressway, which runs to the airport from Manhattan. And the notorious gangster John Gotti grew up four blocks farther yeah. away on 101st. The other way, <laughs> they all they all come from the same milieu. You'd be some, oh, and well, Donald Trump. Donald Trump uh, came, absolutely came a mile away. He came a mile and a half away, a little bit richer yes, surroundings. Sure. But I mean, they're all the world of Queens, which most people laugh at, had a lot of pretty legitimate thinkers. Yeah, um, well, the uh, tribe called Quest. I don't know. Yeah, uh, yes. uh, hip-hop fans yes. will remember them. That well, was a big scene I mean, in Queens. I mean, Hollis, Queens was yep. the birthplace of yep. Run DMC. Yep, And yep. a lot of those 100%. Bands, yeah. the So the culture right out of there. It's a yeah. uh, very culturally rich neighborhood. But where, where, did, where did you grow up? We grew up, well, we, my father started making a few bucks, and we moved to a place called Forest Hills, which was mm. only three miles away. Right there still, and it was a nice area right on Queens Boulevard, which no, is called the Boulevard of Broken Dreams. It's only five <laughs> miles right into Manhattan. But isn't that but, uh, the tennis tournament there? Well, US yeah, Open? yeah, but also, Flushing also, Meadows. It's also the, yep, it's also the place that got my father a tremendous amount of attention, not to 
switch around how he, he made his life. I guess he got his big story break when I remember we were little and in school they said President and second grade President Kennedy or first grade President Kennedy's been killed. Everybody has to go home. Yeah. And I remember going home and my mother telling us, Your father's gotta go. He's gone. I'm like, where'd he go? He had to watch it in DC. The president's been shot. And like he wrote a story called um uh, It's an Honor about the grave digger who dug John F. Kennedy's yeah, Cliff, grave. Clifton and Pollard. They, yep. Yep, yep. And well, I love the idea yeah. that he got that story, which is timeless because he was shut out of the access to, you know, the key players in, in the administration and and uh, State Department and whatnot that, yep. you know, the Kennedy clan, the tribe, he he was an but, outsider. But he went at the story but, from a more eternal, eternal yep. way. But, wow, he really made his bones on that. Because therein lies his where he started to understand in his time, as he'd say in his business, what he had to do to be unique. There were 3,000 reporters, he said to me, on, you know, in Washington, D.C., all waiting for the parade and all of that. Yeah. And he realized he's in trouble. What originality? How can you stand out as a writer? How can you bring something to the party? And for some reason, he said, because he started in sports, I'm going to the loser's locker room. <laughs> oh, God. And that's, that's where he awesome. always get his great ideas, a loser's locker room. And he said, somehow the cemetery jumped in his mind, the grave digger. And he went yeah. and found Clifton Pollard, and he wrote the most beautiful, touching, poignant story about how the guy strategically dug each blade of grass to bury the president. It was magnificent. And, but yeah. Does anybody remember then, any of the stories that all the insiders and the... Uh, you know, the Scotty, you Scotty Rustins and the Washington Beltway insiders wrote. Nobody remembers any of those stories. Oh, I see what you're saying. No, no. This is studied in journalism schools from Columbia, NYU, whatever journalism was, whatever you want in journalism schools. My father was a high school dropout who then maybe picked up his college degree at the end. But really, as he said, went to his, the five required years of high school. <laughs> yeah. he started as a copy boy he started as a copy boy at 16 you know I think in that business I see a lot of these writers and I think to myself either you have it or you don't because mm -hmm. I'm not so sure how much training it'll give you it'll give you the modicum of like uh, enough to, to, to do whatever you want to do but I don't think you're ever going to be monumental and I'm not being critical here, but I just don't know. I almost think it's like that's pretty innate. It's in you to be able to write almost poetically with with. And he invented the news. Yeah, but he invented what's called new journalism. Mm -hmm. He and yeah. Wolf. With and he, uh, he said, Fair, I did it Esquire, not Esquire, Esquire yeah. magazine. Well, the... even at the Herald Tribune. No, the Herald Tribune where they started it mm. with a famous editor, Jim Bellows. In other words, oh, yeah. he would listen to quotes. He would listen to quotes. And, 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 and write it out with color, not just like the other reporters would give you at 901, this happened, this man, 902, mm -hmm. the police said this. No, no. He actually took raw quotes and visceral quotes from people and painted pictures. And then he got accused. I mean, he wrote the other magnificent column, Death in Emergency Room Number One. Yeah. You thought he was there. He relived every step of John F. Kennedy dying in the emergency room. It's eerie. Oof. To the point where the priest came in and held Jackie O's red coat or whatever, and she had splatter. blood on her. He got all the facts to the point of perfection. When you read it, you say, wait a minute, was Breslin there? Yeah. And 
he had that uncanny thing throughout his whole career. He did the same thing when John Lennon died. He got the cops and relived the whole death ride to the hospital. And you almost realize, oh, it sounds easy. Oh, I can do that. But unless you have the proper training and a great ear and you're able to grab the cops and get the right people to do this, you can't. And a lot of people said that Breslin make this shit up. Breslin invented this stuff. That's phony journalism. No, it wasn't. It was insane. I've never seen anybody. researched and immersive. Yeah, I've never seen anybody do it. First off, you have to realize you're not going to have a normal life. Like, you know, growing up in a situation like this, you know, there was no dinner at six o'clock, really. Okay, he had deadlines uh, three days a week. So that screws up that. Five o'clock at night, not worried about what's going on the table, except the newspaper column being finished. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it it was at at that time, though, media and newspapers were the biggest thing. Now TV news is eclipsed and taking it all over. Well, they've lost more than half of their audience just in the last like 10 years. Well, because, and I like some of the guys on it. I know some of the people. Oh, yeah. Um, I think, number one, as soon as you get a line in your face on TV, you're ruined. Mm-hmm. And then some, some other person comes. So then you have somebody else coming. And where this person come out of? Are they a failed actor? I don't know what the hell they are, some of them. You know what I mean? And they're in there and they're, and they're talking uh, hard. I do like news. those weather girls, though. That's uh, the yeah. eye candy that keeps people tuned in. Yeah, yeah. And weather men too. Sam Champion will be mad at you. <laughs> He's a guy in New York too. I, I like him. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, that's funny. Um, no, you know, it's a it, it, it. It's not now. He used to tell me newspapers are dying, and I used to think, oh, "What do you mean, Pop? This is like your thing is so big." He goes, "They're going to be out of here. They're going to be gone in five years, ten years. Nobody's going to read them. It's over." And, and he has appreciation. And, and I think to myself, hmm, okay, he's usually never wrong. And as usually he was right, these things have tanked. But during his time in his city, like we lived in Forest Hills. And he, he had to have connections. He had all the connections. He hung out with cops. He hung out with gangsters, big mobsters. He hung out with the biggest politicians. Presidents were his friend. His Movie stars were his friend. Singers were his friend. I remember he used to go see Barbara Streisand all the time, and I was thinking, I don't really know who she is, but I guess she's okay. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I didn't know. I had it no was idea. the water I, that you, uh, sw- that you, you lived in. The, the actor Richard Burton used to call the house all the time. And I remember oh, wow. Mr. Breslin. Love, yeah, Jimmy, Mr. Yeah, he'd go like this. Is Mr. Breslin there? I'd say, who's calling crazy Joe Richard Burton? And I think to myself, <laughs> I think this guy's famous. Okay. And I'll just tell my father, you know, and if he was busy, he'd take the call and I, he was a really strange guy just because somebody was famous calling didn't mean he was jumping. Um, yeah, of course. He, he, you know, because he became his own star. Absolutely. But he you know, did it he'd through be like, in New York city. Yeah. Yes. That was a, that was the toughest media market in the country. That was Dar- oh, Darwinian you know, you struggle. Yeah. No, New York. If you, no, no. He, he called his city and I used to think, man, that's arrogant. But when I look back on it now that he's gone, he say, nobody's going to give a crap about me when I'm gone. What do I care? Oh, I don't know. Do what you that. want. Say what you want. Well, that's what he'd say. But I'm amazed that when I, when I just do some research and I, I just see like I trail once why anybody ever write anything. Since he's dead since 2017, he must have every month, every, he's had hundreds and hundreds of 
things or stories using his quotes from his baseball book. Can anybody here play this game? They talk yeah. about the politician Washington's to um, how the good guys finally won to, uh, um, you know, um, the gang that couldn't shoot straight talking about politicians. Uh-huh. So they always are using his lines in, in life and connecting and talking about him, whether uh, it's on uh, Jeopardy. The other day, somebody called me, oh, they used this thing from Jeopardy. I was like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's so he's always you know. out there in the, in the zeitgeist. Somebody called me just the other day and said they're quoting him on uh, something, a national TV. It, it doesn't stop is what I'm saying. He's, he's a lucky guy like that, that he works so hard that his work, not yeah. him, his yes. work, carries on yeah that's the best you can hope for that's really incredible and i and i'm only trying to give you the information like um we grew up in forest hills he got a call from his friend who's a detective jimmy we got a shooting right here five blocks from you he says come down here and they explained to him why when he got there well they were concerned there was a shooting but there was one weeks ago that they didn't announce and it turns out that they think it's the same killer. Oh. Well, it turns out it started the whole Son of Sam stuff. Oh, man, that and hot, sweaty summer. That, everybody's in dread. 77, which Spike Lee made the movie about. Yeah. Um, he so. was Son of Sam, my father. And, you know, he wrote the cops. Nobody knows this, but they baited him. The cops said to my father, you know. Oh, they put him out the there. He left the letter. They left the letter. And my father then wrote a column about Berkowitz being like a murderer that knows how to use semicolons. <laughs> and well, that would narrow it was, down quickly. Bur- Bur- well, no, here, Berkowitz, I guess, was, you know, like most of these guys, half an egomaniac, half a complete sociopath or psychopath. Sociopath, sociopath. Yes, all of the above. And stone cold killer, heartless. Um, he wrote back to my father. And at that time, I was, uh, I was a teenager. My father asked me to always go to the Daily News because he was doing a lot of writing from home and said, just keep checking the mail. And sure enough, we opened up this one letter. I got it in an Anne Maria secretary and I read it. Hello from the streets where the blood is dried. Hello from the ants cracking the thing. And I was in weird handwriting. I was yeah. like, holy smokes. And I called my father. He said, bring that home. And right now, I jumped on the F train to Forest Hills. <clears throat> he looked at it. He called the the police department guys, you know, so I had to go back to um, Midtown South and be fingerprinted um, and hand the letter into them, which was evidence. But what, what I'm getting at is his whole life because of connections. Like Absolutely. he was the only white reporter at, and of course they caught Berkowitz and Berkowitz, he, they let my father come in the room and he said, hello, Jim. And my father realized he told me the guys got holes in his head like Swiss cheese. Oh, There's man. nothing there. He's just a, a, a murderer, lunatic, sad guy. Um, but that happened to him with Malcolm X. I don't know why. And the Black Journalist Association have always harped on this. Well, he was the only white guy in the room when the killing happened. He was the oh, only yeah. reporter there. And they always wanted to know why was <clears throat> 64, right? Why yeah. was Breslin at the Audubon, Audubon Ballroom? They want to know how and why he was there. Cause why would he have been there? Yeah. So, and I don't know the answer to that. And they pounded it for years, and he told people, "Why don't you mind your own business?" Well, <laughs> Maybe I'm sure the, the cops. F. Hoover had, probably had a big fat file on him. <laughs> um, well, somebody tipped off my father to be there. 
But what I'm getting at is he was always at the forefront of so many of the stories. Yeah. Um, the Sun Guns, AIDS in New York, which he wrote eloquently about. And they'd say, how could a, you know, a guy from Queens, he was hardly at these dents and dozers. He read Dostoevsky at home and he read Ulysses. He used to have, you know, he's reading, he's a prolific reader. Yeah. And um, they mistook him for someone else. A drunk, fat Irish guy from Queens oh. was hardly the case. He took the tag, I know, when looking back on it, like, he once told me, how could I write all this stuff, 17 hours and all this I'm drinking? And he really wasn't. I mean, he had drinks here and there, but it wasn't some alcoholic friend. Sitting at the end of the bar overhearing all the cops no, talking. No, no, no. He had mouths to feed. This was a J-O-B for him. This, oh, this was a job, a career. And much like anybody's family in whatever business it is, I mean, he, went to, he really went to work. I mean, sure. Can't tell you. Can't tell you. He 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 cared passionately about New York. I mean, um, somebody. Oh yeah, they they just quoted him on the Giuliani documentary. Somebody called me about that. Oh, I got it. And they're saying, that. "Oh, there's your father quoted again." He didn't like Giuliani for a multitude of reasons. Yeah. A being a fraud. B racist. B a cheapskate because it's known fact that. He didn't want to give the firemen radios because he didn't want to pay for it. So the cops and firemen were on different wavelengths and they all rushed into 9-11 and died. And he took all this attention like he did something great, Giuliani, when right at the outset, he really didn't. And so I know, but he, he, he was not going to take responsibility for anything <laughs> that's just not in his nature no. at all for Rudy Giuliani no. to own up to even the no, slightest it's on the, thing. It's on the current documentary right now that's running on CNN. And I think my father called him a small man in, per- in search of a balcony. <laughs> <laughs> That's the perfect description of Rudolph Giuliani. He would love to yeah. put on a big military uniform with epaulets and rows of ribbons and cheering 100%. crowds and giving the hand salute. Absolutely. Oh, Absolutely. And he picked the police commissioner, Bernard Carrick, at the time. I mean, come on. Huh? Oh, that guy Sorry, was a slow. clown. What about uh, um, Bratton, William Bratton? Do you remember the yeah, Bratton did a very, very uh, Yeah. Yeah, I did think he did a very fine job. He yeah. started all that. He made the city safer with that ComStat. Absolutely. Which was a technology used to, to try to catch murders and bring it down through finding, I don't know technically all the stuff, but in order to find recidivism criminals, recidivist criminals, and to <clears throat> figure out what's going on, where crime is needed bigger in the city. And they, mm-hmm. they really reduced crime. I think at one point there were <clears throat> 1,500 to 2,000 murders in the seventies in New York. Yep. And I think Bratton, when he came in, really reduced it. And then the other great commissioner, uh, Ray Kelly, yeah. I think they knew how to really, really bring down crime. And I believe the guy with Comstat was the late Jackie Maple, who also was. Oh yeah. That. There's another character. I'll bet you his, him and your dad probably got along famously. Yeah. yeah you no, know, interestingly, my father, he's good for other writers out there. He was friendly to everybody to a degree. But then a little bit cynical to a degree because I think you had to be because I don't think you wanted to be too close to any one party or person because you never know when you had to flip on them. Sure. Much like my father had a whole crew of people around him that were great guys, I thought. They were his personal friends where we grew up in Forest Hills and they were all politicians and lawyers. 
And they were all involved. It was one of the biggest scandals during the Koch administration in New York called the parking meter scandal. Mm. Little did my father know that all of his friends were part of that. And the New York Times and all of them claimed that Breslin knew his friends were thieves. Well, he didn't. And a lot of the guys went to jail, which ended his relationship with many people that we grew up with. And he was incensed by it. And one of whom in particular, he told him, you turn yourself into Giuliani now, regardless, and you tell him what the hell you did. And, and it might help you. And it did one of the attorneys, but the other ones didn't, they denied, denied and denied. And, um, they went to jail. All of them lost law licenses, lost big jobs. Well, yeah, and, that's, uh, you gotta be careful. You're as a journalist, your first allegiance is to the truth, not your crew. Not your career. No, and I remember asking, I said, Pop, how did you know that, that <clears throat> this guy or that guy wasn't stealing? And he said, I didn't know. And I believe that because mm-hmm. he, he wouldn't, have, he wouldn't have stood for it because nothing, 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 nothing was more sacrosanct, sacrosanct to him than the job and the truth. He might be able to help you here or there. And yeah. he helped thousands and thousands of people in jams. Thousands of people get jobs, <clears throat> make their lives better, especially the undertrodden, you know, the down yeah. the, the underclass. He, if you were the poor, he was, oh my God, what he did stay for people, they'll never know. But put guys in law school, paid for a DA came to me and said, you know, I, I, can't, I, I, have, to, I, I have to tell you, you know, you, you father paid for my law school. I'm like, holy Jesus, wow. Okay, there you go. I mean, he was, he was, he'll let you know he was the highest paid writer in New York City ever. Oh, you know, he probably let you know that I wasn't doing this for, I wasn't doing this for fun. And, um, you know, he had a, I don't know anybody, I feel bad for a lot of these young writers or even TV guys because I say to myself, they're never going to have as much fun as he had because he was unbridled. He had editors that were smart around him, a guy like Jim Bellows, famous, yeah. famous newspaper editor who had a book out called The Last Editor. And I think they made a documentary about Bellows and Richard Walt, who was at ABC News. All these guys went on to huge jobs, mm-hmm. huge, you know, Bellows ran Entertainment Tonight or something, and, 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 and Walt ran ABC News. I mean, you're not talking lightweights here. These guys were legitimate thinkers. But, but you can't, I don't think you can do that now because it's so corporate. It's so corporate. If oh, you yeah. make a mistake anyway, you're gone. If you, that's why someone like you doing even a podcast is so unique because you have the flexibility where you don't have somebody dictating to you. No. But I think these corporations, you go there you know, and they dictate to you and they just, I just think they, they drain I, I think all the only, juice out yeah. of you. They drain all the yeah, juice. I think you can only go so far. I think you can only go so far. And I think you accept it. Oh, and then he always had a good anecdote. My father he said, you know, he was coming up. Everybody went to a bar and guys circulated and met each other and hung out and talked. Uh-huh. Now, I have a friend that's got a, a guy I know okay a little bit, whatever. He's got the no, number one and number two radio talk show in New York in the morning. Okay. And well, at the end of the day, he's not there. He's at the, the brand new YMC work at YMCA working out, lifting weights. So, uh-huh. so I mean, it's not the same. You know what I mean? It's not like, Everything's now texting and tweeting. And those days, there was no cell phones. There it was, was all no, gumshoe. <clears throat> yeah, do, like work. You know, 
town, you know, hit the streets, you got to be out circulating, you'd say, because you had to be out circulating. Now you can text somebody, boom, 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 you know, email, blah, blah, call somebody on the cell phone. But in those days, you had to go out and, and discover it. Well, what do you think we're missing because of that? The color and context? Yeah, yeah. You know something? I know some people who are in journalism schools right now and all of this stuff. And they all see, they got to be careful that they're not PR agents mm. because I don't think, number one, it's really scary if you're a young person and you're out on the streets covering it now. First of all, you got to be tough and have a little guts because, you know, what if you're going into a bad neighborhood, this, that? There's a lot of violence out there. So you got to have street smarts. Mm-hmm. I don't, I think if you don't have street smarts, you could find yourself in a lot of trouble because with street smarts, my father was during the Crown Heights riots, went there alone, and usually he would have called me and my brother, and either one of us would have been mutilated with him, where they turned the taxi cab over with him in it and beat the shit out of him. But one guy kept saying, I know that MF, I know that, that's F, that's F Breslin, get off him, get off him. And they yanked him away from the crowd, and the one guy said, Jimmy, I remember you from blah, 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 in the 77th precinct with when you were writing about something there or something and the guy saved his life. Yeah. Now <clears throat> that one oh, well, the, the Crown most... Crown Heights riots, I mean, I barely yes. remember that. That was like the mid eighties and there was uh and, yeah, was community, the, yeah, the Orthodox yeah, Jews. Yep, yep, yep. They got something happened, one of them got jumped and hurt, and then they the blacks retaliated. They they retaliated. I, I have to go back to get the right. Yeah, this was happened, uh, I think where we first made the appearance of the Reverend Al Sharpton, or I'm sure he yeah. was on the scene before that. But isn't that kind of where he maybe popped yeah, up on my I, radar? I know mine. I have to get my my good buddy Ken Sunshine, who who, who knows the city. You know, my other buddy Kevin McCabe. They know the city like books. These guys, yeah. they they would be brilliant for follow up calls if you want to talk to real. You want to keep the New York thread going. Yeah. Um, well, I'll let you know um, why. One reason why um, I'm I'm really eager to do this interview is because you know New York's the Big Apple in Ojai, where where our colloquial nickname is the Little Orange. We're the Little Orange uh-huh. to the Big Apple. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, nothing so big and nothing so small. You know what I mean. No. I think, well, I think that's one of the details of journalism that makes it so fascinating and connects people is the more specific something is that you're reporting on, the more it applies to everyone. That's why those details that your father was famous for, like Clifton Pollard and what he, you know, the shirt that he put on the, and the, the, the call, the way that he took the call with that absolutely, you know, dread. And, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he did the same thing with John Lennon to the point where it was meticulous writing, yeah. you know where the officer turned around and the color of Lennon's shirt and Lennon nodded his head when he said, are you John Lennon? You know, and like Yoko Ono's face frozen. It's like the details, the details. And he always stressed writing verbs. <clears throat> Most people don't do this because they don't read it well enough. But verbs, short sentences and verbs. Oh, Three yeah, that documentary. Like, um, yeah, he was ta- he quoted yeah. in a documentary about maybe it was the nuns that he went to a – Parochial yeah, school. Catholic schools. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. said the nuns would crack his knuckles and just drill into his head action verbs and concrete nouns. Yeah, like I, yep. that yeah, stuck point. with me. Excellent. I'll tell you, that's really stuck well, with me. It should stick with anybody who wants to write because um, long leads 
you know, are, are dangerous. You, you, you get a yawn in the first sentence and you just don't read anymore. Yeah. So I think you really got to jab, jab, jab with verbs. And if you're a writer or you want to write or you, mm. you whatever, or even, even if you're an announcer on the news, you got to, you got to come in with, you know, something riveting. Boom. You got to make it move like mm. quick. And that's not easy to do. I think you have to read a lot in order to write, write good. Absolutely. Um, the best writers are the did. biggest readers. No question. That's what he, that's what he did. You know, slipperously. That's what he did. Yeah. Um, very important. So these are the basic tenets that I think any, 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 any writer at any age, but especially young ones coming up, but gravitate towards. And I would, I think, I know it sounds really, troubling and not condescending but or 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 arrogant but i would go study a guy like 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 jimmy breslin and the others because and particularly jb because he called himself jb number one <laughs> how do you like that that's what he called himself jb number one and it, i used to think to myself i think he's crazy yeah. he calls himself like almost in the third person then number one i think to myself oh okay <laughs> but all right. I mean, that's all. I just accepted it. And you know, okay. And you know, um, but he could back it up. He could hit bullseyes every time because it comes from going backwards again. All the legwork, the mechanics. Yeah. And I remember a um, reporter I worked with earlier in my career would always, every Friday, he'd drop off a box of donuts at the police station and just shoot the shit. And then, like, yeah. they anything was going on, he was the first call they'd make. And the stories you, that they would, would he would break, nobody else would get near. And even when the national news some, would show up on some of these things, they'd all have to go through him. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Because it's called, you know, it's contacts. Relationships. Again, circulating. Again, that guy, that guy, that guy, when other people were at a country club or something, that guy was, was, was instinctively working. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my father, look, he, he was also friends with Bobby Kennedy yeah. and he carried Bobby Kennedy's casket. I don't know if you know that. No, I didn't. Know. He, he was a pallbearer for Bobby Kennedy. My father tackled Sirhan Sirhan with Rosie Greer. At they the, were the uh, two that, oh, I remember Rosie Greer yeah, <laughs> at the Ambassador the, Hotel, hotel in and my Los father. Angeles on June 5th of and 1968. And, and my father, and my father wrote somewhere, it's out there, um, I held his leg down, and I think he said his leg like kicked five times. Yeah. I think my father wrote that, his leg kicked five times. Yeah. And Rosie Greer held him, and he held him until the other guys could, could get him. Because he was right there at the side of the kitchen with Rosie Greer. He... he my father was, you know, very close with, with Bobby Kennedy. And uh, mm -hmm. I remember when I was young, we was going to get to meet him. He said, we're going to go to his house. And we got there. He said, you know what? Wait in the car. <laughs> Wait in the car for like three, four hours. And it was like, <laughs> in those days, there was no cell phones or, or games you could play. Not, you know what I mean? I wasn't, I, I wasn't uh, playing fantasy football on my phone. You know, <laughs> I, I sat there and looked out the window, you know, actually annoyed. <laughs> but yeah. that, that was a different era. And we again, you circulate. It was always out there. Um, Do you think uh, it'd be any different if he were reporting today? Do you think yeah, he would get I swept do. up? And, I uh, do. I yeah. do because he was very opinionated and was hardly interested in being 
too much of a team player. Mm-hmm. Um, he he was tough and fast and and I don't think now the way everything's he used to have a thing for me. Tell me, you build a racehorse by committee, you get a camel. <laughs> yes, I've heard that before. That's great. And I think I think in 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 journalism to newspapers. Look, man, you, you read some of these. I read everything, but everything. I don't know what everything is anymore. There's too much. It's, yeah. it's insanity. It's a fire hose. Newsletters, newsletters to this, to that, hey, to, 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 all right, from the Times, quote the, the, the Bible of, of, of newspapers and then trickle down to whatever papers you want. And I don't know if that's legitimate to say about the New York Times. In a way, I doubt it. Yeah, there's so, still great I mean, journalism going on there, no question. I mean, I just watched yeah. that documentary she said about the way they they uh, built the brick by brick case against Harvey Weinstein against all the yeah, intimidation yeah, yeah, and yeah, bullying. Yeah. I, that was I that know. was gutsy. I, I, I didn't, I didn't, because because it's so disappointing that just as an aside, Harvey Weinstein, whom by the way was always nice to me, oh, and really? to give you a, to give you an anecdote. Oh, he's another Queens boy, I, isn't he? Yeah, well, to give you an anecdote, Harvey Weinstein grew up two miles, three miles away in Flushing. <clears throat> Harvey's father says to Harvey, you're working with me. We're going to run the Mailer Breslin, Norman Mailer, Jimmy Breslin, my father ran for mayor and city council president with Norman Mailer, yeah, what, which was, I'm, yeah, let's talk about that. I'm, thinking, I'm thinking my father's running for, for city council president. Now, what the hell is that? He's now going to be a politician. Yeah. Uh, okay. Again, like he was on the TV news, my father's six o'clock news. And he used to be, it was like watching Jackie Gleason give a commentary. He was not the most comfortable guy. He was definitely 45 to 55 pounds heavier than anybody on the TV. And he'd be there looking to the camera, except what he said was magical. Mm-hmm. But watching with the presentation was a little funny. But the reason I bring up Harvey Weinstein, Harvey worked the campaign office with his father for the mail of Breslin campaign in Queens. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's great. Little I know. Detail. So a little, I know so you, you can't, can't, can't hate people, on Harvey as no, much as most a, people. No, no, I laughed and Harvey once told me that. And I think I laughed. Um, uh, yeah, you know, it was always the connections in this city. It's not, you know what, even though it's five boroughs, it's not so big. No, it's not. So not big. at that level. My father, my father went, had to cover a column. A lady calls him saying the houses are being knocked down and they're going to build city housing projects called the Corona housing crisis. Her name was Maria Mora Marco. And mm. she said, we have an attorney. And my father showed up in Corona, which was another again, two, three miles from my house. He said, let me look at this. You know, he would always go the other side of the street stories that everybody else didn't want. That's good for anybody to know. Go to the other side of the street. It sounds boring, whatever. Maybe go look where nobody else is looking. So he goes over there, and he ends up meeting a guy he thought was pretty remarkable. He was an attorney. His name was Mario Cuomo. <laughs> and he and Mario become instant friends. Yeah. Remarkably tight friends. My father and Mario... Mario's daughter, Maria, was my partner for a long time. Oh. Um, husband, the famous shoe designer, Kenneth Cole. Very fine oh. people. And Chris, Chris Cuomo's a, a, a good guy who I, yeah, I think you got keep in touch with all the time. And Andrew, Andrew, you know, hell of a human being. And, and 
These are my friends. That's just yeah. how it goes. Well, um, everybody's got, and they are, everybody's they are light, got and Matilda and, and Matilda, when my mother was dying, Matilda would go to the hospital and see my mother and Margaret, the daughter, would go, who was a nursing student at the time, becoming a doctor, would go and help my mother. And so, you know, you're dealing here with, again, through circulating meeting people, lifelong friends, win, lose, or draw. And what I'm getting at, and my father and Mario became so close to the point where Governor, he lost the mayorships. We were there for that. That was kind of depressing. Mm-hmm. And then he won the governor thing. And, you know, oh, my God. Wow, he's the governor. Wow, that's a big deal, I guess. And so, you know, we were around Mario for that. And then there was one little, I guess, eruption with my father when Mario didn't run for president. And I sat there with my father on the edge. Of, he told me, stay here. You're going to learn something today. He said, Cuomo's going to announce it at the six o'clock news. I think it was a Saturday night or Sunday. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, it's all set up. And my father would always work the phones. He worked the horns, man. He had two phones next to his bed with six lines. We grew up with, we're the only family where he used to scream, we're broke, we're gonna go in the poorhouse. We'd have three phone lines in the 1960s and 70s oh, yeah. in our house. Was he was on time. the phone. He was a phone animal. He never got off the phones, my father. Boom, yeah, boom, click, yeah, boom. He, he'd never seen anything like it. He almost looked like a piano player on the phones. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, no, I know. But most people go, you have three phone lines? I was thinking, it's not because we're rich. We're not rich. This is My work. father, yeah, and get off the phones. I need the phones. He'd be like, I can just hang up right away. He'd be, he'd grab every line. He'd be calling judges. He'd be calling cops, politicians. But when <clears throat> gangsters, <laughs> Thanks for a big part of our lives. But well, anyway, yeah, I want to. I want to talk about Henry Hill. Yeah, we'll get to it in a minute. But, 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 but Mario, when he didn't run for president, I stayed there. He goes, he's got all the preachers. I said, what do you mean? He goes, he's got the West Coast, he's got Chicago, he's got down south, he's got them. It's all ready to go. And I was thinking, holy smokes! Of course, getting ahead of myself, uh, a, a real flaw. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh my God, we're going to get to go to the White House maybe and stay over like we did in Albany and sleep with the, sleep in the governor's mansion in New York. Now yeah. we'll stay at the White House. I was thinking, holy shit, this could be wild. You know a president personally. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny, right? Of no, this course, was 80, he did. 88. Or, I don't remember. Yeah. yeah, whenever. And he didn't. He didn't. Yeah, now, why did he, uh, why did he uh, pull I, back? My... Um, I'll weigh my words here carefully, but my father, uh, on the skin, he jumped up, he bolted up in bed, he was grabbing the phones and he was dialing and he had, I don't know if you're allowed to curse here, that AMF yeah, or uh, what the F happened, this fucking, uh, he, monosyllabic, he, none of it made sense and he was moving fast and he just told me it's over and he was shaking his head and I just thought, well, you know what, I think I'm getting out of here. He, he never left his bedroom. He, he was quarterbacking everything from his bedroom. And, and he just got up and he was irate. Irate. Yeah. Um, but they're still our lifelong friends. I mean, Andrew gave my father his eulogy. Andrew Uh-oh. spoke to Mario when Mario wasn't good for at NYU and he gave my father the big lifetime achievement award. He didn't care about awards. He got every award known to writers. Yeah. All well, the Pulitzer, burgers, sure. All of Maya Burgers, the Lifetime Achievement Award, the career award. That's who not. He didn't. It's 
awards. He got watches from people. He gave them to my brother. He liked it all, but I, I think at the end of the day, all he cared about was I've got to write, and he would sit down and write. Yeah. Two fingers. You remember, the only type was two fingers, uh, this guy. A hunt and pecker. Yeah, this guy, yeah, you should have seen him go. It sounded like a machine gun. He used to use that older May standard typewriter, and then Olivetti gave him a commercial and a print campaign, so then we had Olivetti's. You know, I mean, that's what they mean about this guy. And I mean, you know, and then he said, well, you'd even, you know, his acting career, that was a joke. But I mean, <laughs> I mean, he did a couple of movies. He was the original French Connection, Popeye Doyle. No way. I don't know if you know that. Ha- no, yeah, I didn't know that. that. Yeah. Yeah, Billy Freakin hired J.B. first, my father. He, he, my mother was saying, what are you doing? You get, he said, yeah, we got it. I, I remember him saying, they're paying me a lot of money. I'm going to be an actor. I'm thinking, oh, wow, this is cool. He's going to be in a movie now? Okay. <laughs> my sort of, I think my response to myself, a little excited, and then, okay, cool. Yeah, just I'm, another I mean, day. I don't know. Yeah, another day. You're right. Okay, cool. Now, he did it for three or four days. Now, there's a problem that he had. I remember he told my mother, there's scenes where he has to drive, but my father didn't know how to drive. My mother, when we were kids, we jumped in the car and would have to go everywhere as a family to the stories with him. He didn't drive. He never drove, ever. He didn't have a license. In fact, for six years, my mother drove and she admitted to me she didn't have a license. Whoa. <laughs> you can get away there, with that in New York. Time. There you was a different time. Never get, time. Yeah. Never get away way, with that in California. He, he didn't even have ID sometimes, but everybody knew him. Jimmy, Jimmy, yeah. Jimmy. He was, I remember he was on the side of buses. His picture I used to see him. He was on the 7 o'clock news, 6 uh-huh. o'clock news. I used to think, okay, I guess he's famous, but not really in my world. He's just a father who was a little tough and a little strict, yeah. you know, and a little crazy, but um, you couldn't tell him anything, so what did it matter? <laughs> <laughs> but, but I don't want to get lost in what I'm telling you here, but he got the part, and – I'll never forget it. He had the suit and everything. And um, the one night he came home, he goes, what am I doing? I've got to write. I'm a writer. What the F did I do? What the freak did I do? I can't do this. I'm done. I'm quitting. And I remember my mother saying, you can't quit. We took the money. I will whatever. And I was thinking, I just ran to my bedroom figuring I'm not supposed to hear all this. So anyway, the next morning, the door's knocking. There was, it's called a teamster. The driver was there to pick him up in the station wagon. I had to open the door and I'll never forget. I went up to my father and said, the guy's here for you. My father said, tell him I'm not coming. Okay. Went down the stairs. I said to him, he's not coming. The guy looked at me like, okay. And he left. My father quit the movie. Wow. Well, they hired Gene Hackman through the whatever movie they had to yeah. do. Yeah, the rest is history. Except the night of the Academy Awards, we're watching it on TV. And I guess my father still had French, enough of a friendship with Freak and Freakin understood um, and maybe he realized Hackman may have been better for the role. But anyway, maybe. When, 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 when the Academy Award came, when Hackman got it, the phone rang, it was freaking. It said, Jimmy, that was your Oscar. My <laughs> <laughs> father told him I'm a writer. Oh, whatever. Yeah. But he did that with big slow dancing in the big city. He did that with, um, then we, then, you know, he was on cereal commercials, grape nuts. Oh yeah. And then the, the famous one in New York, Peels, it's a good drink and beer. Everybody used to marry me as a yeah. high school kid growing up. Your father, you it's a good drink and beer. He was on beer commercials. <laughs> got your balls I mean, busted. imagine being a journalist now, being on an alcohol commercial. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it would never happen. I mean, they couldn't, he was unbridled. 
They could, yeah, they there's no. Yeah, they couldn't, couldn't <laughs> contain him. He was a no. Saturday Night Live. Did you ever see him host Saturday Night Live? No, he only hit newspaper writer that. in the history. Yeah, go Google it. I'm he only hit he did it with Marvin Hagler. He's in scenes with. Yeah, he's in scenes with um with all the famous Saturday Night Live people acting scenes. Nice. It, 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 Nora Dunn. He he did a funny ass scene with her. I'm thinking, how nuts is this? He's hosting Saturday Night Live. Must have been My a thrill father, for you. Thinking, no, I was thinking, how did they pick him? <laughs> but then I figured, oh, well, again, okay, good. You know, he never stopped to get too analytical on any of it because even though he was a newspaper writer, I've now told you he was in commercials, mm. movies, <clears throat> TV shows. Um, he was his so own concentric circles. Yeah, his own brand. radio, radio all the time. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. He actually was his own brand. <laughs> uh, great. He'd probably have a podcast right now. I'm sure. Somebody'd be saying, "I got to get him yeah. and do something like that." Well, I'm um, sure he'd be proud at how well you're carrying the the load here because I remembered all you're of that. Great, I yeah, remember you're doing great. I remembered all of it and, and how how you and I connected with. I always like to read up on stuff because I started a, uh, I let it go for COVID, which I have to resume it. Mm-hmm. The Jimmy and Rosemary Breslin, my mother. And the reason I bring her up was even though he remarried was that if he didn't, and this is good for anybody out there. If you don't have a strong family support, you're in trouble mm-hmm. unless you're so good on your own because um, it's not so easy. You know, he, he didn't drive. So my mother drove him everywhere. Great sacrifice. Yeah. To family normalcy, um, having a bunch of little kids, um, you know, there was a fire. We got to go. There was a murder. We got to go. I've been to more fires. I remember, and they always seemed gloomy and bleak to me. We parked like about a, 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 a little farther away from wherever you were allowed in with the crime scene. He'd just jump right out of the car with his press pass around his neck, and they all knew him. Mm-hmm. And then he was off to the races. Um, from the biggest things from David Berkowitz to the Happy Land fire where, oh God, how many, 40, 50 died there at that time? Yeah, in the a disco? To, yeah. I mean, I've been to so many of them. Wow. You know, a colorful one would be, he promised me I could meet David Berkowitz with him. So I was 17 to have my license, something, whatever, 18, whatever the hell it was. I drove over there to Kings County Hospital where he was in the mental institution. Because the night when Berkowitz got caught, we were waiting in a diner. He was always waiting, waiting, waiting. Because during that summer of 77, the cops said, Berkowitz might try to kill you, Jimmy. And he told me that. And I was thinking, I'm a brother, James. I remember thinking, oh, that's scary. So he moved out, the rest of the family, to Long Island. And we'd stay with him and we'd drive him. And coming home at night, we wouldn't just pull up in front of the house. We went to the driveway. We'd go by the house surreptitiously lights off in the car. Maybe we'd go by at 70 and they come back around the other way because he said, you never know. The cops said the guy might try and jump out of the bushes and whack you because he built you up in his mind. Killers may be thinking. Oh yeah. That would be, that would make him a legend. My father and and we can tell and gangsters, the same sort of scenario, which I'll tell you about in a minute. But, but anyway, the day Berkowitz got caught, we were in a diner and we had to race the police plaza. And of course, him being who he was, we went right in the door also. They all knew him. And they brought him in right away into the room ahead of the, all the other reporters. They didn't have any access like no. this. 
And and the right away that Berkowitz saw him and he said, Hello, Jim. Like they were friends. <laughs> my father, Jim right then and there, he knew this guy was completely whacked. Yeah. Stone Cold Killer who's you know, and I read about this killer in Idaho and I see haunting similarities. Haunting indifference haunting indifference towards human beings. And they just read some new piece today about the kid and he's saying that he felt empty in life like he had dirt in his head. And he wrote all this stuff, and now they. And when you read that, you're thinking, "Oh man, he, he, he's depraved," and which is why it explains why he lost woke by the last girl. I think he's completely, sadly nuts. Um, am I saying he's innocent? Not by any stretch. No. Um, because I always want to believe that nobody normal could do something like this, depraved and different. Yeah. Um, well, it'd anyway, be much scarier if they were normal and they committed heinous acts yes, like that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And what I'm getting at is, so we go to the Nut ha- Kings County Hospital to meet David Berkowitz, the mental institution. It's not appropriate to call it a nut house. But anyway, <laughs> um, again, he promised me I could come in. And then, of course, the people at the desk said, I'm not allowed in. I'm not him. And I'm not a medical professional. So legal, I, legally, I was not allowed in. Um, I'm sure J.B. Conley just go with them there. But anyway, we sat there, and while I'm there, there's about 10 or 15 fire trucks that are racing past me. I'm thinking, wow, it must be a big fire, big, big mm-hmm. fire. This is crazy. There's maybe 20 fire trucks screaming, screaming there in, 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 in Brooklyn. And so he comes out and says, let's go home, wasting time. He told me he has holes in his head the size of Swiss cheese. Useless waste of his time. That was a hot, hot day. And I remember saying, Pop, you know, there's a fire. All these fire trucks are going. Maybe we should follow. He says, no, nah, I've been to a thousand fires. I'm done. Let's go. go." So we're going. But as we go, three, four more trucks are screaming by us. And here we go with the journalism instincts again. Told me, follow the truck, man. Yeah. Of course we followed them to, I think it was Ocean Avenue in Brooklyn. I think that's and right. Yeah. It was a famous fire called the Wallbaums Fire. I remember hearing where, about that. Here's what happened. And here's where, again, a reporter, a writer, should pay close attention to it. He saw a woman and the children standing there and a fire department chaplain. Oh, man, and he let me come in with them. There were 30, 40 fire trucks there. It was insane. There was a Red Cross truck there. I'm thinking, I've never seen anything like this. And across the street is the supermarket, smoke coming from the roof. I'm talking hoses, water, insanity. I just stood there still and watched. My father was sort of near the people in the chapel, and he was watching every move. I remember thinking, this can't be good. The lady's crying. What's going on here? And a little kid with her was crying. Their father was a fireman. It was his last tour. He wasn't supposed to do it. But they were going on vacation. He went to the firehouse to pick him up. But he said to his family, to his kids, watch me. I'll show you. I go to a fire in the back of the truck. Follow the truck. So they raced as they, the, the truck to the fire. They were behind it. The father got out. He went up on the ladder with three other guys. They went on the roof. They had the hoses. They were doing it. Well, the roof caved in. And they watched their father burn to death. Oh, my God. Now, my father, we were in the car so effing fast, you don't know. Back to that firehouse, the name of the firehouse, the car. You can find the newspaper conference. And he retraced it all, and he wrote about the whole thing. 
and I have the column on my phone somewhere I can send it to you. But it, what I'm saying is the details. But again, the legwork that he didn't call asking somebody, hey, is there a fire? Boom, boom, boom. He went there and he carefully reconstructed an event. And he had the, the ability to do that, to listen, to look. He wasn't big like a lot of guys writing 10,000 notes on a piece of paper. Yeah. He had, a, you know, the reporter's pen. He always said write on one side, not on both sides. I'll never know why. I thought that was a waste of paper. Well, but, you write your way all the way through on one side and then turn Oh, maybe it you're right. Maybe you're right. Uh, oh, maybe you're right. You know, I never, good point. I never, I never got that far with them. I just figured, okay, right on one side. I know foolishly I've written on both sides because I thought I don't have the money to keep buying all these notepads. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever I was scratching. But, but what I'm getting at is he didn't write too much because he's the power of observation. He'd look and watch. Mm-hmm. And like a cat, like even though he was, you know, a stocky guy, he was five ten, five eleven, and whatever, two twenty. You know, he wasn't fat like they make same out to me. He's more like no. bullish. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, sometimes he had crazy long hair. Other times he got nice, neat, fancy haircuts and wore pinstripe suits. Other times he was wearing a rumpled sweater. You could never figure this guy out. Um, but. He knew how to grab information and he knew how to watch a scene and then go recreate it to the smallest detail, whatever that would be. The button on a lady's sweater, a, a strand of hair, you know, and then with verbs, like we talked about earlier, go Action back and verbs. write it. Yeah. yeah. And then you'd read it and you'd go, holy smokes. He just painted it like a painter would paint that picture. Well, we were talking about not all blood and guts. He said you couldn't write a newspaper column day in, day out, year in and year out. You know, between all his magazine writing articles, which were numerous, and cover stories, New York Magazine. By the way, he started New York Magazine. Is that true? But then over, hmm. yeah, but over a, some one of the other writers getting not equal share, he was irate with Clay Felker. Yeah, Clay and Felker, he and Dick, that's what I remember. He and Dick Schaap quit. It, basically, he started it with Gloria Steinem and Tom Wolfe. And oh, yeah. that was another thing. Oh, my God, your father now is going to be part of owning a magazine? Mm. Uh, okay. I can <laughs> tell you there's not much money in it. Well, New York Magazine, <laughs> I don't know. That, that might have been a different one. That's a one. different scale. They, yeah. Yeah, I think that, that hit, 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 hit a pretty good pay, 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 pay out for somebody. But anyway, here we said you couldn't be all blood and guts because how do you do it all the time? You know, a murder. Uh, a fire, a death, poverty, sadness, the permanent underclass, which he, he's so worried about forever in his writing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were always exposed to the ghetto so early on because, which I always thought was odd that we're always somewhere in some poor neighborhood and like everybody I knew was like just in the schoolyard in, in, in Queens, you know, mm-hmm. middle class, upper middle class, whatever. It, it, it just it was always a, a different world for, for, for us, really, an understanding of the city. But, you know, he always, like, had fun. Like, he wrote the book, The Gang That Couldn't Shoot Straight, and he also wrote the Mets book, Can't Anybody Here Play This Game? He always yeah. went after, like, co- comedy. And The Gang That Couldn't Shoot Straight was, like, the world he lived in. He had our godfather, whose name was Fat Thomas, my godfather, <laughs> He was a bookmaker who was six, he was arrested 64 times. He was 300 pounds. And I used to have to go to court 
to watch him get arraigned. But, but, but his, my father had characters like in that Marvin, the torch he used to give me a fire helmet to oh, wear. Oh yeah, I remember that he was, name. He was, he was an arsonist. Yeah. My father used to write columns about these guys, but it was funny. And then like all the gangsters, he'd write columns about them. Like not Gotti early on, like other mm-hmm. guys, there was a guy, Sal Reale, whom he loved, who was part of the Gambino crime family. And like, uh, I guess you're allowed to say this stuff. Yeah, sure, why not? Yeah. And it's all known. And and um, like you know, there were a lot of gangsters around, and he, but he would have fun. But he would make up stuff. Like he had a character in Ukio, and like I, he used to tell me the FBI's all over me. I'd say, why? He goes, they're looking for a Ukio, <laughs> and he write about this old mafia boss in East Harlem, the boss of bosses. Now, meanwhile, my father was friends with. Uh, Chin, the chin who wore the the robe oh, around Benny and G- the Giganti. Benny Giganti. Giganti. Yeah, Benny yeah, the Chin who Giganti. pretended to be crazy. Yeah, he was my father's friend, and I once asked him about him. He told me he was crazy like a fox. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the Chin's brother, Father Louis Giganti, who passed away, was a famous priest who had given our mother his uh, her last rites. Yeah. Now, it shows you how my father's orbit was very close to organized crime people but like yet he made up this story about Anukio, the boss of bosses and he's Harlem when my father was also very close with that Tony Salerno yeah. who was the boss yeah the Capitudo. yeah he loved fat Tony they go to, they he had a picture in his office of fat Tony he loved fat Tony he was like he, they were friends yeah and like the other picture was he had was Carmine Giganti who was shot dead he had a cigar clenched between his teeth and he was dead. And my father had that as a big picture in his office. <laughs> I know because when Giganti got killed, the cops called my father and he was the first one there. They told him, go next door. He had this kid that drove him. They, they went to the roof of the building and went to an apartment where he, my father told me a dog was barking at him. They climbed down the back stairway and Giganti's head was blown off in the back of Joe and Mary's restaurant. Oh, and of course my father was the only guy there to see all this and write about it. Yeah. And then get the picture to put in his office. But what I'm getting at is he, he, he made up the character in Okio and the FBI was saying, they want to interview my father about a character that he wrote about in the newspaper and made up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nobody could do that now. True. That's yeah. fiction. Yeah. That's fiction. But was it that that time fiction? And only he could do stunts like this. Like <clears throat> he talked about his love of surfing. Mm. You probably go on, what am I talking about? He used to ask me because I was a pretty good surfer. You were at the beach. I said, yeah, oh, yeah. I surfing. Fire Rockaway. Yeah. 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 He goes to me, who was there? I said, a lot of guys. He said, what'd you do? I said, well, it was cold. We wore a wetsuit. What kind of wetsuit? I said, some O'Neill, like 3.2 millimeter or something. What kind of boards were guys riding? You know, I'd be on this. I said, no, you'd probably ride that. And I told him, he said, how were the waves? I said, good. What was the water like? Boom, boom, boom. The next thing you know, he's writing a newspaper column that he was surfing in Rockaway, dropping in on the wave, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> all the color, all, all the color, the color of everything, right? I got a call from Surfer Magazine saying, <clears throat> or somebody said, Jimmy, and they wrote about it saying, Jimmy Breslin, famous New York City writer, surfing, surf Rockaway. <laughs> <laughs> He had a surf, man. He had to have some fun with the columns. You see what I'm saying? Sure, yeah. He got, well, he got the story. Yeah, he's like. Uh, That's what I'm saying. The details. Yeah. So, any young writer out there, you better you better be really um, harnessing 
all the details and then use your, your imagination and try to have some fun with it because you can't do, unless you just want to be a serious beat reporter covering whatever section of the paper you want, but there's no fun to that. No. And, and that's where he had always his characters that, that he was allowed to have fun with. Like, you know, like Damon Runyon was a, reminded yeah. me of Damon Runyon. Yeah. Exactly. But he didn't like Damon Runyon, even though he wrote the book about Runyon. I guess he resented the fact that Runyon was maybe more of an alcoholic and, mm. and not as nice a human being as you could be. Yeah. You know, my father was very Catholic. He'd go to church all the time. Yeah. He was a religious guy. He was no, not some derelict. Mm. He was really an Irish Catholic, you know, parent, if you will. Yeah. But you know, when he stopped writing about gangsters, he told me the thrill is gone with them when uh, drugs Drugs yeah, came in, and he changed. said he couldn't write about Inukio or, or or any of them because uh, drugs. Yeah, he said they're peddling heroin. The, yeah, glorifying the depravity. And and heroin created the ghettos, and created the crime, mm-hmm. and created devastation. Yeah, in to ways. a lot of young blacks and in, 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 in Hispanics in the ghettos in the city of New York. African Americans in the city ghettos at that time, yeah. and uh, and he said that's when you no longer could justify having fun writing about any of them. So that's where it changed, and that's where like the new writers will never have the opportunity to do did what do what he did because uh, society changed in terms of how you value and judge things, mm-hmm. you know. But but don't get me wrong. I used to ask him, "What about young writers coming up?" He tell me, "Oh, they're going to be huge." Huge. And he said, be, be some kid from somewhere, some, some country that comes here, and he writes what he knows. He always said, you have to write what you know. Yeah. So maybe it's a kid living in Flushing, an, an Asian kid, or maybe it's a, a Hindu kid from living in Ozone Park, or an African living in, in the Bronx where they had that terrible fire. He said, they'll all, one of them will break out and be huge. He wasn't pessimistic about young writers. No, it was well, just the opposite. There's a, I can think of a few that similar circumstances like Juno Diaz. Yeah. He's from Puerto Rico, he, I think. Yeah. Or Dominican, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, he, that's what I'm saying. He was very optimistic. Yeah, Lynn Manuel Miranda. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'd love him. He, what it is is he would root for them. He would yeah. root for them. So it's not like he was some guy who hit the top and says, I don't care about any of them. It was just the opposite. He told me they're going to be big. He told me, look out. One of them are going to be big. Yeah. Just, just you just watch. You know, he, awesome. he, he came at a different time though. Um, and he cared about everyone. You know, it just, he did. It was a different, it was, it was just Well, the empathy I think, certainly uh, came through, the ability to connect with people. I also thought that Murray Kempton had much that same. He was more patrician yeah. and riding his, his oh, tweed yeah. suit and yeah. his bicycle. And, but, you know, yes. going to the yes. cop shop and pouring over the arrest reports and stitching stories Murray, out well, of that. My, my father would – it's funny. Smart guys always hang out with each other or, yeah. or talk to each other. Murray Kempton was really an erudite type of guy, different yeah. than my father. Murray, yeah. you're right, wore a, wore a blue suit and a shirt and tie, and he rode a bicycle. He's a kid. You're not catching my father on a bicycle, all right? <laughs> he was picked up in the car. He had a cigar in his mouth, uh, jumping in the car, had a cup of coffee, dripping all over the place, maybe grabbing for a sandwich. Yeah. No, my, he was just the opposite of that. Murray was yeah. rail thin. And mm-hmm. My father was a big, beefy guy. You know, it was just night and day, but they got along because they all knew one I thing. I bet they, they did. They had, 
they had the ability to think. Yeah, well, you know, Murray Kempton had the biggest, <laughs> the best quote for journalists anytime anybody, you know, I put it out there all the time. He said, I walk wide of the cosmic and settle most happily for the most local. <laughs> I love that quote. Now, there's more to it. I wish I could remember something about. No, he's. Uh, walk, he's, no, he's uh, yeah, something like that. You got, you got, I mean, I remember my father said that what, what controlled him in the newspaper, the only thing that got him or any other buddy through writing for a newspaper was rage. Hmm. Rage. And that's what he said. He used rage to, 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 to drive him with everything he did. Oh, that you was know, a, where he summed up the energy, huh? Yeah, rage is the only thing he knows or anybody he knew who's writing for a newspaper on a deadline to get anything done. You had to have rage. Oh, man. Uh, you know, and, and, and but it's funny, we're talking about him sort of being famous for what he did, but he was also smart enough to know it was all horse sense. Yeah. Because he used to tell me, fame is fleeting. And I remember trying to think to myself, what does he mean by fleeting? Fame is fleeting. He'd look at me and go, it comes fast and goes faster. Yeah, well, certainly true. More true today than ever. I think it's he was—he was cognizant of it. You know what I mean? I—I he—he wasn't a fool. He—he, he, oh. you know, he—he—he he, he had fun with a lot of it, <clears throat> and and like the New York Times used to chase him and say, Abe Rosenthal, the famous editor for New York oh, Times, remember, used to yeah. come to Queens and try to chase down Breslin and see if his characters were real. And I think he said <laughs> something to the effect. I, I found Breslin with all his crew in a bar. And by the way, John Gotti was the doorman of this bar my father used to hang out at. Oh and he was God. rising the in the ranks Don. of being a gangster. Yeah, he was right. It's called Pep McGuire's, a saloon across from the courthouse on Queens Boulevard. And my father told me uh, grand larceny was invented in Queens. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the parking meter scandal came from. But anyway, they'd all be there. It was like a different world. But I think Rosenthal went there and said he didn't believe um, the rule number what the New York Times was you never get sucked into anything or believe anything you have yeah. to be very um, well if your mother uh, objective if, if your mother says she loves you check it out yep 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 so but Rosenthal said he went out to see Breslin Circus and not only did he it, like enjoy the circus and watching it, he wants to join. <laughs> he, 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 he never saw anything like it, but it was true. But I mean, that, that was the colorful world my father had. And I'd be honest with you, growing up, I was sort of embarrassed. I was like, yeah. these aren't like normal people like everybody else's father would come home at five or six o'clock at night. My father uh -huh. would be somewhere with people doing stuff. You know, every size, shape, or form. Bumpy Johnson, the black gangster in Harlem. We used to oh, have to God, go there and meet him. He got my my father's sister a big job, and like yes. as a teacher, and like nobody ever bothered her in Harlem. Because Bumpy Johnson got her the job. It's like, you know, his world was just so, so, so athletes. Mm -hmm. You know, football Colorful. players. Joe Namath was his friend. Yeah, you know. He revered Art Rooney of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Art, I remember meeting him with my dad, and Art Rooney was like, my father never had a father, you see. He grew up fatherless. His father took a walk. You know, his father was an alcoholic and, and left the family and left him at seven, you know, alone on the street corner. I told him oh, I'll be man. back, wait, wait here, I'm going for cigarettes. Yeah. So, I mean, he famous. grew up, that's where he got his imagination. That's where he learned a lot of his fiction. They used to ask him, what'd you do during the summer? He said, oh, I'm fishing with my father and we had a great time and everything. We did nothing of the sort. Yeah. 
So, so that's where that, that comes in. He used it his whole life to carry him through. So for any other young writers, it's the same thing. You know, use your imagination. Yeah. Oh, why not? Well, why yeah. not? Well, you, like you, know. you said, you get all the details and then the apparatus of the narrative just becomes apparent. It just writes itself, but it's all accumulating those vivid descriptions. You, I think if you yeah. love it, if you love it enough, yeah. I think he wrote a close to 4,000 newspaper columns. My father, 4,000. He was prolific. Yeah. He never stopped. He wrote every day. All uh, yeah. the job, the J-O-B. He was a little, little bit of a workaholic there in his own way because he was supporting six kids at one time in, um, you know, a nice fancy house. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever missed a meal. Um, you know, it, yeah. it is what, and you, and, and you, and you, you know, you're a really an independent contractor to, to, to a degree because I remember so many newspapers went out of business when we grew up. It was kind of like, Oh yeah. Depressing. I want to oh, talk about the uh, New York daily oh. news because isn't it yeah. just like a shell? Like how did that, Yeah. what happened? I mean, this didn't happen that long ago. They got bought out by some hedge fund, which seems like some it. kind of a vulture, vulture capital. You just, you just said it. But what, I think what is the there? Like what the are industry. they, yeah. What, what There's is the pieces there. are them for the pick over? When he, he used to go to 42nd Street, you know, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but if you ever come to New York on 3rd Avenue to 2nd Avenue on 42nd Street, it's called Jimmy Breslin Way. Oh, God. The whole street's named after him. 42nd Street and 3rd Avenue is called Jimmy Breslin Way. Well, in the city of New York, in perpetuity, the signs are up on the street. That's pretty god darn good. Yeah. The only other nice names are firemen who died in fires and real estate tycoons. Lou mm-hmm. Rudin and his brother Jack Rudin who owned Park Avenue. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got to be a, and, and one or two other guys, you got to be a pretty big shot to have your name taken over 42nd yeah. Street. Well, the only, uh, George Abbott <laughs> way, do you know the, yeah, yeah, yeah he's, on, Abbott, he's on Broadway. That's the, yeah. the only famous person to come from my shitty little farm town in Western New York of 600 people. He, he lived there yeah. from, to the time he was about 13 or something. But, uh, yeah, I mean. Getting out of Forceville, New York, that's a big deal. That's the other end of the state. That's Chautauqua County. That's Great Lakes. That's closer to Chicago. I know. And that's cold because you get from the lake effect snow. I know. You've seen those, seen oh, those Bills games with the you know, the wind swirls around in that stadium. Oh, man. It's like I'm glad no, to be I in know. California. Oh, yeah. boy. I know. Oh, hi. So, um, you know, yeah, I, you're, I'm just trying to give you a good overview here of, of, of a writer in a, a writer for a long 50 year run, which is not a bad run 50 no. years. Oh, I mean, gracious. somebody could Google him and watch videos of him. I mean, the tonight show, Dick Cavett, every talk show known to man, you forget that one. Yeah. And then when he died, they had, you name it, they did something. And some of them were, were very fine. I was always surprised. A couple of them had, they, in his own industry, I always wondered, would, did they care about him? Would they turn on him? Well, they cared. Yeah. Even if they didn't like him, they knew this was a player, a money player, as he would say. Well, you know, the respect yeah. of just being such a. I guess so. Luminary. You know. You know, and he. You know, and it's funny because <laughs> I don't know if he respected them as much. Yeah. Sure. Or, or not that he was arrogant. I don't think he had time. He ran like with tunnel vision, with blinders on a lot, man. Yeah. This is what he wanted to go after. So again, to give any young writer some. Some fuel, or you know, even reporter, whatever. Some fuel, just 
do it your way. I think if you, I think, I think the biggest mistake is trying to copy someone too much, maybe a, a little bit, watch them and then find your own voice. Absolutely. <clears throat> I agree. I think going that's back the, to what you said earlier, yeah. noun, verb, you know, <laughs> action verbs and concrete yeah, action, nouns. Yeah. yeah. The three, nuns cracking word, over the fingers. Three word sentences. And I keep trying to figure out three word sentences because I, that's not so easy. <laughs> it's yeah. easy to write a 33 word sentence as opposed to a three word sentence. Yeah, it is it's easier. Like, That's like uh, Mark Twain said, I would have written a shorter letter, but I didn't have time. Yeah, wow, I know. I love well, that. I, so, I wait, I got to talk to you about, uh, you know, the Henry Hill and the Lucchese family. And how did your dad oh, get well, sideways of them? Oh, Again, come on. They asked him to write a gangster book. As he was probably next to a cop, pound for pound, knew more about gangsters than, than anybody in the city. It's like, case in point, my math teacher, unbeknownst to my father, was on the jury of John Gotti's case in Brooklyn at the, oh. uh, at the federal court. And it was before lunch break. The judge, I think it was Jack Weinstein, he said to my father, uh, he said actually to the courtroom, to the thing, we're going to break, but does anybody have anything to say before I adjourn the jury for lunch? And the math teacher, Gotti was sitting in the first row, and the math teacher says, yeah, I do. And they look at him, and he says, uh, I got something to say, but it's not to Gotti. It's to Breslin. My father, like, was sitting behind Gotti, just taking some notes, watching the trial. And my father looks at this guy, says, yeah, he goes, I got to tell you something. I got a beef with you because your kid's no good. <laughs> I, was a, I was a student in math. I was a C student. I couldn't get his geometry if I wanted to. No, I mean, and yeah, and awesome. he said, and I never liked him. And they were looking at him like, well, okay, thank you. And God, he jumped at my father and said, see, you're not the only one that has kids' problems. <laughs> so I got a laugh out of it. I mean, you know, Gotti in that moment, that was some, you know, levity there. But, you know, yeah. overall, Gangsters were not good people, and uh, no. you can read about all the horrors that they, they all created because, you know, again, they were either unfortunately dealing drugs or, no, some, or as he said, dark turn. Well, as he always told me, as a gangster, there's only two things that are going to happen you're going to go to jail or you're going to get murdered. Yeah, there's no. And we used to hang out in a coffee shop. <clears throat> My father would love to hang out in coffee shops. Gangster coffee shops. Mm. We hung out forever at two places. One was called Lakatas, and the other was called D. Roberti's on First Avenue in New York. And Lakatas was in Queens and Brooklyn City Line. No one would know these places. Oh. <clears throat> at Lakatas, he'd sit in the back room, and especially in the summer, and smoke cigars under the umbrella. And they had this beautiful Italian brick out there, and it was like a grotto. And he'd have espressos. There was a card game going on inside at all times with all guys speaking Sicilian, yeah. 20 or 30 guys. It was illegal, but I didn't know. I didn't know. I, didn't, I would sit there and eat cookies and drink a, um, a soda. Yeah. My father used to smoke cigars and blow smoke in the air and go, I don't want to be here when the heat starts. <laughs> I used to think, oh, oh, he's over here. He goes again. Oh, that's bad. You know, whatever. I don't want to be here. And he'd laugh to himself. He'd chuckle in the air. And he'd blow smoke in the air, and I'd be like, all right, all right. Maybe he's exaggerating here a little. Yeah. Well, sure enough, you know, one night, he gets a call. It's one of the family members that both the owners, his dear friends, their heads were exploded as they came out the front door by shotguns. Oh, my God. Of course, they were part of a, 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 a family crime war. I believe it was Gambino's 
a, a family crime war at the time, and they were murdered. And I believe my father gave the eulogy at the church for one of them. Wow. And um, I ran into one of their nephews, family members, about a couple of months ago, and they're giving me a big hug. How's, how's everything? I'm sorry about your father. Like we're extended family. You know, and a nice guy, by the way. A nice guy, by the way, because not every gangster, their kids are gangsters. The guy has a legitimate job. Um, he, he liked gangsters because I think they added color and humor at that time to his world. And he wrote the book, The Good Rat, and he, he couldn't like the police officers that were involved with killing gangsters because they were no good. But he liked the Jewish guy who was the, who was the accountant who wanted to be a made man, but he was Jewish and couldn't be. Yeah. But he, he, he wanted to be a gangster more than anything in life. I mean, how insane is that? Because well. they all live by the credo. You get a fancy suit. You got girlfriends at night. Uh-huh. You got a lot of money in your pocket. You get a fancy car. And you, and you don't have to wake up and go to work. No, and you get the respect. Yeah, you get the respect. till you, A, get arrested or be murdered. <laughs> well, I love the idea go, that uh, John Gotti would wear these, you know, $2,700 Brioni suits back then. Oh, and absolutely. He was a, he was a uh, union plumber. He was making uh, $15 an hour. He, he, never, <laughs> he never connected a bolt in his life, I don't think, with his manicure. But anyway, but Gotti made the big mistake. He wanted to be famous. He yeah. did something stupid. He opened his mouth. He, the media... John Miller, who's the police, uh, did a Mount Marvelous job in, in news. Now he's on CNN, but Miller was also the police anti-terrorist guy for the last, I think, six or eight years here in New York. He did a sensational job. He's, he's you know, he did, I did the Bin Laden interviews. He's very bright mm. and, 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 and very informative and a guy you should always listen to, I think. But regardless, Gotti talked to Miller all the time. And, like, he suckered him. Guy shouldn't have talked to anybody, shouldn't have spoken with anyone because you're going to get in trouble. Yeah. My father used to tell me, you know, the first thing, anything ever happens to you, pray that goes in the newspaper on a Saturday because it'll be forgotten about by a Sunday. Yeah. It'll be yesterday's, yesterday's news. But furthermore, if you see them coming, run the other way. Yes. Really? Don't volunteer information. Yeah. So always tell me that. Don't volunteer. Talking between you and me is a little different, but don't volunteer information. Like, you know what I mean? In a situation. Well, even just they're only going to, yeah, they're only going to twist they're gonna it. Distort it. Yeah. They're going to distort it. Yeah, we both said it. They're gonna, going to distort it because they're not smart enough to even hear it the right way. Probably. I think that's, or they're, so vindi- or they're vindictive. Oh, or a yeah, lot of these guys gotcha. are coming with baggage. They're vindictive. They're mad. They're angry. And they'll say, Oh, this is my get even time. I'll write a kill piece on the person. Yeah. Per- sure. You know what I mean? Like I know a guy right now who's, who's got a trouble in New York city and he had to lose a job in the city government and they prosecuted him in the paper and persecuted him. And all he did was resign from his job because there's some question about something, but he hasn't been arrested. He hasn't been anything. But if you read the newspaper, you think this guy committed, you know, Genocide. major league larceny. Yeah, yeah. Major league larceny. You gotta be careful, you know, but, mm-hmm. but so he used the humor of that. Like, that's what I'm saying, in Nukio, Fat Tony Salerno, he loved them. Like, Rayo's, the famous place, I'll leave you with this one. Rayo's, the famous place in New York City, the food place where everybody has to go. Mm-hmm. You haven't been to Rayo's, you haven't lived your life, you're, 
Your heart doesn't beat. You're nobody. You're nothing. It's a little dump in East Harlem of a restaurant where everybody goes. You have to have a table. Yeah, a who's who, blah, blah, blah. Well, my father was going there 40 years ago when I used to think, who goes to dinner in Harlem at Rayo's? It wasn't what they need to be now. It wasn't Wall Street Titans have to get a table there. He was there with, with the crew. But something happened. They told my father a story. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is in newspapers. It's not too bad. But anyway, they told him a story that the road was being dug up outside by the gas line people. There was something in the neighborhood. <laughs> and the gas line people followed the gas line. They didn't know. It, didn't, it was odd because it wasn't part of what they had to do in the gas. And it was connected to Rayo's. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. There's an only little problem here. They were trying to fix the gas lines, figure out how this happened. So they're looking in their records, but they have no record of Rayo's. Well, Rayo's never filed for a gas permit. They connected and tapped into the line from day one forever and never paid the <laughs> gas bill. Well, he told that to my father. And, of course, the next day, it's in the newspaper. Uh-oh. And Rayo's is screaming at my father, Jimmy, what the hell are you doing? He says, yeah, well... You didn't want a newspaper. You shouldn't have told me. <laughs> Goodness. Just like Pete Hamill, who was dating Jackie Onassis at the oh time. Pete was, Pete was one handsome guy. When you look at Pete Hamill, he could have been a movie star. Pete was a good-looking guy. God yeah. rest his soul, because Pete he Hamill hair. was a oh, man, he he had famous hair. He also, yeah, he also was – Pete was pretty chiseled, and Pete, Pete – you, you, I don't think you'd want to get in a fist fight with Hamill. I can show you what's going to happen. No. You're not coming out on the good end. <laughs> but anyway, no, no, or just brother, or brother Dennis or any of them. But, you know, they're not, they're not lightweight here. Um, Pete was dating Jackie Onassis. I mean, she's the president's wife. Mm. Oh, my God. And I believe Caroline Kennedy was running around my father's office. She was being like a, a copy girl. Nice. And like, I mean, yeah, this was way more elite than anyone really knew. Yeah. I mean, and, and Pete was telling my father stuff. Or, and of course, my father immediately wrote about it. Yeah. But I think Pete was also dating Shirley MacLaine, the actress, also. And I think Shirley MacLaine. Yeah, I think she went berserk. I think she went berserk. Shirley, and I think she Pete used to was be. Calling a, my, she was a smoke show back in the day. But anyway, my father told him, yeah, well, you, Pete, what do you know? You shouldn't have told me. What are you talking about? What? He'd go like, what? And he'd run the other way. He already knew. He already knew he did something horribly wrong in terms of preaching friends chatting together. But he didn't care. If he needed a newspaper column, nothing. Everything nothing was material. With that. Yeah. Yes, oh, we have Kennedys in, in Omaha now. We have Kennedys here. You spot Carol, Carolyn wow. Schlossberg's, Carolyn Kennedy Schlossberg's daughter and some others. Oh, really? Well, her mother worked. My mother worked for my father. I, I knew her a tiny bit for a few minutes, and I knew her yeah. brother John was a lovely see. guy. But, yeah, John was a good fella. Um, yeah. Look at how the media harassed him. But anyway, that, that you know, it was we're talking about a, an aura, a time, you know. And, and not to sound dated, because I'm not, but it, it, it became so corporate. Back to what you're saying, the Daily News, it was bought by corporations, bought mm. by – Guys who are accountants who have no understanding, all they cared about of, of creativity and fun, all they knew a bottom line. My father used to have expense accounts problems. Yeah. He had thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, I guess, out all the time. It's just he's allowed to have it. He's a pinner, man. Yeah. He, he would never do star. his expense accounts right. He would tell Anne Marie, go do it. He'd throw receipts on the floor. He could care less. 
Yeah. You ain't getting a Pulitzer Prize. You're not getting Pulitzer's all these every award known to man worried about a goddamn cup of coffee receipt, okay? You, and then these people, she knows, I know you have to be good. I Look, I work in, in, in a different end of the business. Yeah, I want to talk to you couch. about yours because you've had some yeah, very interesting, you've yeah, done some acting do, and yeah, filmmaking. Oh, that, when I was a kid, that was when I was a kid. Yeah, no, I'm in the production end. But but um, it could have been halfway good if I stayed at it, but I, I wasn't sure, so I decided I'm out of that But because mm-hmm. there were people better. But anyway, no, you know, it, you can't, unless you got to have that flair. you got to have that heart and soul to do it. And I hope somebody listening who, who's maybe saying, I love writing, doesn't stop. That's, that's, that's all I could say. And that's, I know he would say the same. Don't ever that's, stop. That's you know? awesome. Yeah. So yeah. let's talk about some of your work, your films. I know the uh, Living for 32 yeah. Colin Goddard well, film got lots yeah, of yeah. Um, press. That was well, definitely yeah, uh, that, high, that was high profile. Ca- that was almost an Academy yeah, Award film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, again, if anybody's making a movie and you and I'm, I'm making something now and I'm learned something from that, don't ever start to get too technical. Where you know, if if need be, try to stay with the emotion. I think if mm-hmm. I added just a touch less technical facts about gun legislation and gun lobbying at the time, I went to Virginia Tech for the murders, and we relived wow. the whole thing. Or interestingly, I didn't realize. I was doing what my father did. You know, when I think back on it, I did not. Although somebody would accuse me of saying, well, you retraced it in the same sort of way, bench by bench with Colin Goddard, how he was in a room and he stayed on top of somebody who was shot six, seven times. But I, I just instinctively did that, going to the bathroom where Cho was, shooting from in the bathroom. Oh, my God. Oh, man. It, it was pretty eerie being up there in Virginia Tech at that. And in a... And he sent me this last year, and we, we developed it, believing that it didn't do it, but I was at like Marjorie Stone Douglas down there in Jeez. Florida, and um, the what attorney a, had me horror. sit next to, oh, the attorney had me sit next to Cho in the courtroom, I mean, uh, Cruz in the courtroom, and uh, like five yards from the, five feet from the kid, whatever, and they brought him in all shackled in his red, you know, uh, jumpsuit, prison suit. And they got all these big, burly, beefy, tough, tough, stoic type of cops behind them, marshals holding them, and they sit them down. And he's twiddling his thumbs, man. And he's wearing these big, oversized glasses. And I'm looking at this kid, and I'm thinking to myself, how useless, how pathetic the whole thing. Why did you do that? Your life's going to be a nothing. So they want to execute you. And the DA was there, and he's really demonic looking and really wants everything, everything you know, watch this kid executed. And the and the um, defender's telling me what a waste of time to execute him. What what good is that going to be for anybody? Yeah, I don't understand so, that so, thirst for, for vengeance. Oh, like that. What is it? Uh, what hey, is it he told me the family, he told me he's done this before in his life, and he told me it's really bad. I said, for whom? He said, the families that have to come each time to the trial and, and spiel their guts out again and again. He goes, it wears them down. He goes, it annihilates a family. So luckily I saw that they just mm-hmm. settled where he's going to get life imprisonment in Florida and sit in some sort of concrete room. And, and, and that's it. Uh, and I'm not getting into that penalty versus anti. I'm just saying what it does to the human spirit. It, 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 the defense attorney seemed to tell me it's not worth it. Yeah. Um, and I agreed with him. And luckily, although I, it, 
I abhor what what all these these these, these insane people do. And um, well, we had yeah, our own yeah, incident in Buffalo not too long ago. Oh shoot! Come on, that kid. It's the exact same thing. Like why we did Living to Thirty Two, the film, and it was on Showtime and very very well received. Yeah. I guess we 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 got we got and we got like some awards, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, well, Academy. Um, forget about the, all the other stuff. And it's so. Your bottom line, the big good news is it, it sold, and that was the most important thing. Sure, it's all them, and you paid. got paid. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's very very important that you don't you don't make these things for fun. It's not some sophomoric effort. No, um, or dilettante effort. No, yeah, dilettante. That's really the better word for it. Um, it, yeah, no, 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 no. And you know, anybody even embarking on any filmmaking. I mean, I make my living working in TV commercials forever which is always paid the bills because yeah. you, you, to be a, to make films, you got to be very careful, very, very lucky. I made um, a drama about four, five years ago with Billy Baldwin and Armand DeSanti, a little New York City police crime drama. And it, it, it sold to some entity, but it, it, it was a, the intentions were an A, of course, but I think mm -hmm. it was a B film. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's not easy to do. They're not easy to do. Anybody no. can even make one. Anybody can even make a, a feature of any size or you know, it's, it's, it, it sounds easy. Put it this yeah, way. It mad sounds respect, easy. Mad respect. No, it just sounds easy, but you really have to be committed. Yeah. Well, you know, I've heard, then, uh, then, I have some actor friends and they say that you're, they're on a, on a film and they're working every day, putting in, you know, mm -hmm. chiseling it down and doing their best work. And they have no idea whether it's going to be good or not. There's like no sense of when you're in the middle of the film, it could be a great script and then something else happens or, the moment that it gets to the market is wrong. The timing is off. There's just Oh my this... God. You're talking about every variable, every variable yeah. as well as editorial choices. Uh-huh. Sometimes the you worst know, movies can do really well just because whatever it is at that moment, people want to, you know, just have a popcorn experience. You know, maybe they don't want to watch Hotel Rwanda, you know, every time no. out. As important as <laughs> which, those movies which, are. Which you know, that was a pretty heavy one. That was a pretty good one, by the way. Yeah, it was great. But, you know, what if you're just sitting around on a Saturday night and you just got back from a fundraiser or something and you just want to turn your brain off and have a cocktail? That's probably not going to be top of your list. No, nah, so. that's, that's when you got to go for the... Uh, Step Brothers, That's too. when you go for some... Yeah, that's when you go for... Um, what's the... Uh, I want to sell a movie, you know, uh, with all the, the young guys when they were trying to meet girls. What was that one called? Oh, like, Swingers. Um, yeah, that's what you want. You, you got to have a laugh. You see what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. why not? Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm embarking on, on, on like one now. I've talked to you about another time, but it's 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 it, it could be along the lines. A long, it'll be a long one, but uh, it, it could be pretty good. So we're we're starting that up now. It's taking a, a good while to put together. Oh but, sure. Yeah, these things take a lot of time and a yeah, lot of like money. It's like a military then, campaign. Yeah, you gotta have. You gotta have. You gotta have. You know, even to write a novel, say if there's somebody wants to write a novel, you gotta somehow keep a day job. It's it's the arts. It's it's mm -hmm. not. You know, if you keep a day job, you you'll be able to live a nice enough life. But you can't unless you're a total um, outcast. Where you, you're not gonna. I have a family, kids, and all that. And, you know, 
school bills and blah, blah, blah. But, you, you know, or else you just got to be so independent. You're single and you live like a hermit, as one guy once said to me. And I was thinking, well, I'm not inclined to do that. No. <laughs> oh, what about uh, while we watch the Zuccotti Park? Zuccotti oh, yeah. Park. Well, I was, one, I'm fascinated by that whole uh, Occupy Wall um, Street movement. Because you know, I pass it all the time. I wouldn't even have brought that one up. I pass. Yeah, that one sold also. They, they were a bunch of. They were a bunch of, you know, radicalism to any degree becomes a little bit boring because some of the people <laughs> are committed. It's predictable. Some of the people down there were committed and a lot weren't. And that's the first thing that caught my eye when I was there. Some people were just getting high in that park. Yeah. When you went in there, I couldn't believe that park became like a, a homeless a drug, camp drug for zone. two or three parks. Yes. By the way, the top part of the park was the, was the media tent and 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 um, a library and the food people. But as you went at, as you walked into the park and went down the hill towards Church Street, Broadway and Church there, it became weird. People oh. with dogs, pit bulls, people high on the pipe. Because one guy looked at me and he looked like he was a a, a psychopathic killer. Um, uh, it became like sex den. It was very weird. So I realized oh, I'm not interested in this. So I found the media kids which who were giving out the message and they knew how to manipulate the media and yeah. use social media. Okay. They fascinated me and that's what we, we, we banged out the idea on that, that there was honesty and commitment behind it. But unfortunately a lot of the people behind them were not as committed to getting out a message nope, as they, they were. There. were. It's a party, it was a spectacle, it was like Burning Man mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, the one interesting mm -hmm. thing to me is this was the same time as the Tea Party movement. You got Occupy yeah. Wall Street. You got the Tea Party movement. Tea Party put 40 Congress people in the House of Representatives. The I, Occupy I, Wall I, Street I, 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 put zero. They had zero. I, they were, I don't know. It's just they were so feckless. Yeah. That really. You know, they were young people that came from all over. Amazing how they all came from all over America and ended up on, on Broadway downtown in New York City and lived outside because that was a cold winter. That was rainy and really cold. They got really yeah. nasty. You know, I, I was I admired their guts. I was thinking, sure. I don't think I'd have the guts to sleep outside on the concrete in Zuccotti Park. I don't care. I mean, I met one fascinating guy in there walking around and I said to him, what do you do? He said to me, I'm in the ice cream business. <laughs> I was like, really? What do you do? He said, yeah. He said, well, I'm from Vermont, but I'm down here. I'm, I, I'm trying to give these kids as much help as I can. And he said, they're not ice cream. He's got Dixie cups of it, hundreds of them. It, it, he goes, this is my Ben and Jerry's. He goes, I think he said, I'm Jerry or Ben. Oh, really? Yeah. I said, Probably I go, Jerry. that's you? Two, yeah. yeah. He goes, yeah. I was like, holy shit. And he was down there supporting these kids, giving out. And we talked for a few months. He was a nice guy. Yeah. Um, but, you know. I guess not me or anybody. But let me ask story. If you have a story, if you can't quit on your stories, I guess that's the only. You gotta have, look. You know it too. I mean, you gotta have really fortitude and belief, and you can't be a sucker. You gotta know. You gotta know if it's a good enough story, and to try to go for it. Mm -hmm. And 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 you can't be let down by disappointment. Because so few end up like my father, where everything just fall, fell into place. He yeah. never got told no. He never got told no, and that's, you know, it's just an amazing thing. Yeah, you got to have be resilient. 
That's a key attribute. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this has been wonderful. Um, But I have a couple more things, uh, segments that we do on the podcast. Tell tell everybody to look out for TV news because once you get a line in your face, you're through. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, um, grab and go. You know, we have wildflowers or wildflowers. We have those too. But wildfires. And we've got mudslides no. happening around here. I know. So I know. natural disasters, you got to grab and go, man. You might never know when you're going to have to evacuate. So you grab your. We, we, we watch it. We watch yeah. it from here. On, yeah. on, 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 on ABC always has great coverage in national news. David Muir always has like great reporters there. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah, it's, it's nuts. It, it's like, yeah, between the mudslide and the fires, it's like. And, and earthquakes, the yeah. like earthquakes, and now the range. It's like, wow. It's always something. So, what would you, in your situation? Say you got a fire and you got to go. You get your family. You get your pets out of there. What's what's next? What does Kevin Breslin well, grab from his house well, as he's well, fleeing? <laughs> okay. Well, it's funny you bring this up. I met my wife through making a story called Women of Rockaway, which was about 9-11. Oh, yeah. The community in Rockaway Beach, New York, which is out on Flatbush, it's really Brooklyn at the beach. Oh, really? It's I thought that was Queens. It's a four-mile strand. No, it Queens. it's Queens, Brooklyn. It's Queens. Yeah. But where Oceanside. Island, Oceanside is Queens, right? You no, know, that's Long Island. No, oh, no. It, it is Queens on the beach. But the tip oh, I Bayside. live on. Bayside. I'm sorry. Bayside, I'm thinking. Uh, that's over there. The tip I live on in, in Rockaway is, if you look on the map, Flatbush Avenue heads from Manhattan right over the the Manhattan Bridge, right out Flatbush Avenue, seven miles. You go over the bridge, you're in Rockaway. I'm really Brooklyn at the beach, if you okay. want to really consider it that. Brooklyn at the beach, go figure, on the Atlantic Ocean, and very beautiful. Well, I met my wife because a lot of firefighters lived here at, at the time, and and. and Yep. And a lot of people from Rockaway, 200, I think like 150 people in this peninsula died during 9-11. And they sent me out here to make a documentary, Women of Rockaway, and I did it. It was very beautiful. It was on oxygen. Oprah Winfrey put up the money. And it was a, a very good one. And a very that was a good story, really a beautiful little documentary, Women of Rockaway. But anyway, even the Beach Boys gave me some of their music for no money. Ooh, nice. um, we opened up with Brian Wilson's song. He gave it to us. Couldn't believe it. Didn't have to pay publishing okay. rights. I love that. Guy. Um, yeah, because it, it, it was a beach thing and beautiful. But anyway, my wife lived here and I met her through making the documentary and she had lost a fiance. We had been oh. friends, stayed friends for years. And then we ended up, uh, you know, getting married in the New York Times wrote a beautiful, um, you know, a wedding thing about it, story about it, getting married and all that, but, and a video to go with it. But anyway, we lived here. We live here. And I was thinking, well, I'm, 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 at that point, living, I was living in the west side of New York City for a long time. And uh, lo and behold, Hurricane Sandy comes. And we had a storm here. We had a storm here with the ocean, which is only one block down from me, and the bay one block the other way. Mind you, I'm only eight miles from New York City, Manhattan. Yeah. 12 miles as I drive around, but straight up on Flatbush Avenue, eight miles. Not too far, because most of the people bicycle. Um, well, we had five feet of ocean right out in front of our house. Oh, my God. I sent my wife and son to the second floor. And I was, she goes, you look nervous. I had my hand on my head going, I can't believe I'm here. How did I end up here with an ocean outside roaring up the street? Cars were floating up the street, much like your neighborhood, like you know. Now, lo and behold, sparks are flying. 
And I look outside and across the street, one block away, I said, oh my God, there's a fire. But I said, oh wow, one house is burning. Oh my God, the poor people, the poor people. Then I looked, I go, am I seeing things? In the middle of the night, it was all blacked out, by the way. And I had four feet of water in my basement rising. And I was thinking, oh my God, the house will blow, blow away. We have a big solid brick house. I said, I think we're safe. But anyway, the fire raged down the block and burned out 11 houses, Damn. one block from me across. And we had embers raining on us, raining on us. And my wife goes, we're going to burn. We're going to burn. I said, no, we have a slate roof. I think we're fine. Yeah. Never been a homeowner. I don't know what I was talking about, but I said, okay, uh, we're fine. We're not a, a wood house. But anyway, 11 houses burned in my neighborhood. And one young kid that went to save everybody's lives, surfer died oh, a while later. He actually, no, he didn't die. Then he died a couple of weeks later. But anyway, um, and he saved many people's lives. People all had to get out. We were the part of Sandy in New York that was demolished, demolished. We were out of our home here for six months to eight months till it was all renovated and blah, blah. And so, yeah, what I would grab, my wife already knows about this. She has, we have a kit. I know she's got, um, she's got it, like a passport, IDs, cash. Oh, your bug out bag. Yeah, bug out bag. Nothing, no, 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 like food or any that bullshit. Yeah. Oh, remember our cars were ruined because our cars were underwater. So we lost two cars, um, you know, thank God for insurance and all that. But what I'm getting at is um, a bug out bag. That's what we have. I know she has, she's got it because she's type A. She uh -huh. has I, I know some cash, I think cell phones, you, you, but I know passports and all hardcore stuff like that. Yeah. And yeah. I but it's funny you say that. Then. It's funny you say that. I, I, I often think, oh, maybe you should have a bag with like, what are you going to pack? Food? I mean, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. At that point, oh, she, she was very, oh, we had life jackets because our, our son was very young then. We had a life jacket for him. And I had, a, I said to it, relax. I'm a water guy. Believe in that New York, I'm pretty good in the water. Yeah, I said, surfboard. we have, I had, I had 10 surfboards here. I said, you're going on the long surfboard with <laughs> jackets on, both of you guys, and, and we're going to go through the water. But you got to be careful because there were objects in the water where you get lacerated. Yes, of course. You know, there was floating objects in the water. And the, the next cholera and everything else. From oh, my God. The next morning, the tide came, the low tide. The streets were nothing but three feet, two, three feet of scum, mud, yeah. and foam, brown foam. And I went out on my bicycle, and and I perused the whole near every street, and I was sliding in the sludge in the mud, and I was filthy from it. It was it was toxic shit. You're absolutely right. Pardon my language. It was toxic. Yeah, and, well, literally shit. Probably. Yeah, no, you got to be careful. It was sewers, electric, burn, plastics, everything. So, you know, <clears throat> um, New York City's had to share a calamity. Yes. You know, believe me, 9-11 um, was a real calamity for this place, too. So, I mean, we've had it. Yeah, you survived. You know, oh, and the last thing, Kevin, the, uh, yeah. what's on your playlist? Like, what are you, what are you reading, watching? Anything? Uh, Recommendations? Just just... Yeah, you know what? Yeah, I just read, I just finished it, and I, I, I pick up oddball stuff. And I'm glad you didn't embarrass me, and I say, I don't know who. Carl Sandburg, oh, a poet, man. wrote a book called Idealist. I believe it's called Idealist. And I, I found it online, and I read the whole thing online. I, I can see, I go to my phone 
would, did I erase it? Uh, idealist, Carl Sandberg. It's Hanlon. not poems, is it? Prose? Yeah, no, it's prose. He wrote about condition of living. Um, I'm going to try. I'll take it it well, idealist I loved his uh, biography of Lincoln. That's one of my, you know, probably top yeah. hundred books of all time, maybe even top 25. Well, really. isn't it funny? I just, I just read, yeah, I was just, they were talking about Lincoln last night. I guess very few people can live up to that. No, that, that he was a man. He was a, you know, comes the hour, comes the man. That's my thinking on him. He just was perfectly suited temperamentally for a conflicted nation because he was a very conflicted man, too. I'm trying to find it. Was it? Hang on. I'll idealist. put that up in the notes. Yeah, yeah, it is. Here it is. I'm an idealist. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm on the way. Nice. Carl Sandberg. And I just read the whole book, Idealist. It was like 80 pages. It's small. And I just finished it yesterday. I, I couldn't stop reading it. Oh, that sounds um, great. I'm going to check it cause, out. Cause, yeah, it's, it's really like proverbial. And, and, um, and you kind of realize life's point. You know, nobody's here forever. Don't, don't, mm. don't. Don't, don't make too big a deal. And I always read, I read a lot of stoic stuff, Marcus Aurelius stuff. And, oh, and, yeah, and, and, meditation and, 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 and Yeah, all the stuff. Stoics, stuff, I love stoics. Yeah. Stoic stuff, yeah. I, I've been glancing a lot of that philosophy stuff lately, um, only because I think it's, um, I, 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 not to sound, you know, look, we went through COVID. Everyone's gone through so many things. I think that there's a real, and I don't, I'm not an, I don't want to be effusive, but but I really think um, you got to pay a little bit of attention to that. You know, all this everybody just running by everybody, brushing past like it's some cheap little horse race. I don't know where that's getting us. You know what I mean? Oh, you made a hundred grand more than me. Good for you. You know what I mean? Or you made a million more than you said. You're already judges it in seven figures. Um, yeah. <laughs> the arrogance of it all. But anyway, big deal. And then what? Well, I liked uh, Marcus you know I mean? Aurelius, you know, the memento mori. Just yeah. remember you're yeah, going to die. Yeah. 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 In the moment, yeah, you're going to die. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you're a smart guy. Absolutely. That, the Latin holds firm there. You know what I mean? It, it, yeah, I know. It's, it's, yeah, so you can, so, you know, it's humbling, if you will. And I think my father, you know, circling back for a moment, I think he was pretty, or I think he was rather aware of that. Yeah. And, and, and that's why he used his time and I'm embarrassed in myself because I've hardly used my time like he has. But, <laughs> but I'm not, yeah, but yeah, I don't Seemed like you're like having a good time. Seemed like you've done yeah, pretty well you for know, yourself. You love your family. Yeah, yeah, you love your family. You, 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 you have good kids. Yeah, luckily, everybody's healthy. Nobody's had substance abuse problems or jail or drugs or, yeah. or any calamities. And so you, I, think, I think that's an important part of life, too. You know, trying to be a... A good I, I think being a decent citizen, yeah, a good person. Yeah. And then, look, everybody stumbles, right? Everybody stumbles. Of course. So, well, yeah, like, no, that's uh, that's like Immanuel Kant said, uh, from the crooked timber of humanity, no straight thing was ever made. I know, right? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> We're all a mess. We're all a mess. Um, all right, well, Kevin. I hope, well, uh, yeah. I hope I give you some, some fun, some food for thought. <laughs> you got me lots of stuff whatever. here. This has been awesome. Really appreciate oh, it. Oh, thank you. Thank you so very, very much. All right. Well, I'm glad uh, we connected. Yeah, me too, Kevin. I'll see you around <laughs> the block. Say hi to everybody I'll... out there, man. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Hey, everyone. Brett Bradigan. 
just thinking out loud. So one thing I don't do a very good job of, well, a lot of things I don't do a very good job, but one in particular is promoting myself. I feel that the work speaks for itself. Res ipsqua, no, how do you pronounce it? Res ipsa loquitur. But that's not true. I got to hopefully convince one or two of you that have got this far to go to iTunes, look up Ohio Talk of the Town, and give me a review. I'm not, not even asking for a good one. Sometimes a bad review sparks as much interest and triggers the algorithm. So even if you hate it, the fact that you've got this far means you're a hate watcher or hate listener. So the chances that you'll write a review are probably better than the people who have enjoyed it. In any event, thanks for coming along with my lovely talk with Kevin. And uh, we'll keep an ear out for you.